This is Darrell Alia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, bonus episode 50. Let's get it. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobster, the cash flow ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. Hey, what's up? What's going on, BTM listeners? Welcome back. Welcome to a bonus. Welcome to the first bonus episode. Guys, now I told you guys that I had a surprise for you. Well, here it is. I'm releasing bonus episodes sporadically throughout this month. So if you thought that you were just going to get four or five episodes this month, you're wrong. Think more closer to eight, nine or ten. Now, this is a gift for the listeners because this is our one year anniversary. One year ago this month, this podcast was birthed and it's crazy the transformation that we've been able to have in one year. It's crazy the amount of impact we've been able to have in this past year. Now, on today's episode, we're speaking to Mr. Eric Bowling. Eric is a multifamily investor who actually got his start as an accidental landlord. He became a landlord because he had no other way of buying his first home. Him and his wife were looking to buy their first home and to move into their first new home. They had no other way of financing their first home without becoming an investor. So it's fascinating how he became an accidental landlord and he collected his first rent check. And ever since then, he was hooked. He's going to talk about how he convinced his wife to jump into real estate. We're going to talk about the difference between a real estate business and real estate investing. And we're going to talk about how Eric found his niche in multifamily, because now Eric only invests in multifamily units. So it's a fascinating episode, guys. I can't wait to get into it. But really, really quick, over this past weekend, I was able to save about $6,000 on repairs. And I'm going to tell you exactly how I was able to do that in the tip of the week. So again, guys, welcome to the first bonus episode. Look out for a few more the remainder of this month, and you just never know when they're going to drop. Actually, I'll give you guys a hint. So we're actually testing different days of the week and seeing what the listenership is going to be like. I mean, you guys know that every single Tuesday we release an episode every single Tuesday, but I want to test Wednesdays. I want to test Thursdays. I want to test Saturdays. So we're going to test every other day this month and... We're going to get some feedback. We're going to look at the numbers and most likely we're still going to go forward with Tuesdays, but just want to see what happens. You just never know. Again, in every business you test and you tweak and you modify and you go in the lab and you just kind of figure out what works best for you and the listeners. So again, guys, thank you for sticking with us for the past 50 episodes, guys, 50 episodes. We've talked to 50 entrepreneurs. We've talked to 50 millionaires. And I mean, 
it's been spectacular. I it's it's an honor that I'm able to do this with you guys. That we're able to kind of just have this session every single week and listen to some of the greatest minds in the world, some of the greatest minds in real estate, some of the greatest minds in online business. So again, guys, welcome to this episode and enjoy. DeRay's tip of the week. So my almost $6,000 mistake over this past weekend, you know, while I'm having fun, hanging out with friends, doing the things that normal people do, I receive a text and the text is from one of my tenants stating that the air conditioning unit has been blown out, the HVAC system. And I was just like, man, it's Saturday night and there is no possible way to, you know, kind of fix this tonight. Like it was like at 2 a.m. in the morning. So the next day I had my manager reach out to a few different companies and get some quotes. Now the quotes came back as such. First quote came back at 5,800. The second quote came back at around 6,400. And the third quote came back at 7,800. Now, each of these quotes were from three different companies and there were multiple, I would say there were multiple quotes from each company because there were different AC units uh, that we could install. And I looked at the quotes and I was just like, man, this is this is like a random occurrence that I wasn't expecting. It's not in the budget. This is crazy. I don't see why this would cost so much. So I told my manager, you know what? Give me those quotes. Let me go do my own research. And I went to go immediately tap into my network again. You, your net worth is your network, and I'm going to show you why. So when I went to tap into my network, I, I told them exactly what I was going, what I was going through, and that I, I needed to fix my uh, tenant's AC unit ASAP. Because I mean, let's face it, summertime is coming, and I didn't want them to be uncomfortable. I went to my network, and they gave me a recommendation, and the recommendation was a very, very handy handyman. So I call this handyman, and we meet up, and. Me and this handyman, we actually go and find a distributor, a distributor that he works with, by the way, often. And when we go to this distributor, we tell him exactly the situation. And he, you know, he tells them who I am and that I have a, a few properties that, you know, that we can possibly do business on in the future. So they like the idea. And we go to the back room, we go look at all of the inventory. And I mean, it's like a warehouse, guys. Like there's like tons of units everywhere. And I'm just like, man, this is amazing. I wonder like, you know, what's going to come of the situation because I'm not about to pay 7,800 for uh, AC unit and installation. So we find the perfect unit and it was a three ton unit, by the way. So we find a three ton unit that's perfect as far as specifications. And I'm like, how much is it? They're like, it's a thousand dollars. I said, okay, cool. So we, we load it up and we head to my tenant's house or my house, but you know, my tenant's house. So we head to my tenant's house and, and as we're unloading, I asked the laborer or the contractor, I asked him, I said, so how much do you charge to install this? And is anybody else going to install this with you? I just kind of asked him some basic questions and he was like, yeah, um, I'll do it for $500. My mouth dropped. So I got the unit for about a thousand dollars and the labor is going to be about five hundred dollars. So in total, I was coming out of pocket about fifteen hundred dollars. Whereas if I would have just went with the quotes that my manager got me, I would have paid for that same unit and labor. I would have paid seventy eight hundred dollars. Now, I just saved six thousand dollars by doing some grunt work, doing some research and reaching out to my network. 
Do you see how important, how powerful a network can be? And I like to think that we have one of the best networks around. Now, a great network that you can join now immediately and tap into the resources and the knowledge of other people is our Facebook group. There are people in there every single day looking for deals. They have deals and they're looking for money. They're asking questions about contractors and repairs and things like that. I mean, there was a guy the other day and he was ready to fund somebody's deal. You know, he had some money lying around. He was like, hey, is there anybody kind of in the process of closing on a deal? Like I'm looking to be a passive investor. And just like that, a few other people reached out to him and they're currently in talks about doing deals together. I mean, it's that simple, guys. You have to tap into your network. You have to work with intelligent real estate investors around you if you want to become successful. So if you want to join our Facebook group, visit beforethemillions.com slash group and you can join immediately. Again, it's a fascinating group and I love everybody in there. I mean, we are constantly helping each other lift as we climb. So that's the tip of the week, guys. Let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. Today we have on the show, Mr. Eric Bowling. Eric is a real estate investor, but for some of you guys who don't know who Eric is, who've never heard of Eric, Eric, let's first off, Eric, how are you? <laughs> hey, I'm awesome. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I almost, I almost skipped that part. I was like, wait, wait, wait. They haven't heard Eric's voice yet. But Eric, really, really quick, before we jump in the time machine, before we take it back and talk about your Before the Million story, let's give the listeners a little context on you and who you are, what you, what you currently do today. I'm a multifamily syndicator right now. I didn't start in syndication. I started in small multifamily. And I'm also an online entrepreneur. And I run a couple websites as well. I love that. I love that. Sounds like we're in the same boat. We're in similar niches on both fronts. So I can't wait to get into this. So let's, let's take it back, Eric. Let's talk about younger Eric. And let's, talk, let, let's go in the time machine. What were you doing back then? What was your mindset like? Did you go to college? And what was your progression before real estate? Yeah, so I went and got my undergraduate degree at UMass, and really, I'm going to jump forward to about 2008. I just graduated my undergrad, and I just started grad school. I was working on my PhD in economics, and didn't realize it at the time, but I just met my wife, or my future wife, and I was also in the military, so I was doing a lot of things. I was setting myself up to to be a professor really and have a good job and it's going to be a great job with great income and great benefits and, and that's where I was in my life. Around 2009 that all that all started changed when I bought my first three family a multifamily and I didn't even buy it with the intention of being an investor honestly really I was, I was a full-time student so I didn't have much income and the only way I could qualify for a loan was to get those extra two units of rental income added to my income when you get a residential loan they'll add that in. That was the only way I could qualify to buy a house with my, with my wife. And so that's why we bought it and that's how we got started. So that's really, I mean, the earliest beginnings as far as real estate goes. You move into this three unit because this is this, I mean, this is the house that you, you were able to buy. This is what you qualified for. And you didn't, you didn't move in with the attention of being a real estate investor, but you know, month one came around and you know, maybe you got that, that first rental check. Talk about that experience really quick. Yeah. So my, my initial plan was to sell it after a few years. This was during the bottom of the, the housing crisis, right? So the plan was, oh, it's low. I'm going to buy it. I'll get graduate school. I'll get a job. I'll sell this house and move into a real house. And then I was, uh, I remember this day very specifically because it literally changed my life. There's very few days in a person's life that you can look to and say, my life changed on that day. 
And I was sitting there on the couch watching TV or watching a movie and somebody knocked on my door and it was kind of late at night. It was eight or nine o'clock at night. And this isn't a neighborhood where people walk around at night. It wasn't very safe in general. So when someone's knocking on the door, you're like, who's that? So I go open the door and it's one of my tenants there paying me the rent. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. So I write the receipt, I hand him the receipt, I put the money down on the table and I sit there and the wheels are just grinding in my head and I'm just thinking and thinking and thinking. And that night I realized that I wanted money to come to me like that. Like it just did, like it knocked on my door and someone handed me cash. Uh, I didn't want to have to go out and you know hustle for money and grind for money and, and uh, like everybody else is doing it. And that's where my mindset, mindset started to shift. And you know, I didn't realize at that moment, but my whole life changed after that night. Yeah, Eric, and that's that's so profound. And I, I know many of us investors go through that. And it's like, you know, I, I don't know how old you were at the time, but it sounds like you had already graduated from undergrad and you were looking to may, maybe get, get higher degrees. And, you know, you had been working all your life towards this one specific goal in an instant almost. Your, your whole life changed. So what did you, you do next? And how did you start to implement this, maybe this new vision that you had for your life? What was the next step? Yeah, so I was about, I was actually about 24 years old at the time. And uh, I had a, uh, so I kind of had to put everything on pause because I became obsessed with real estate investing after that. And I started learning and reading everything I could, but I had a deployment coming up. I was in the army and I deployed to Afghanistan in 2010. So I bought my house in late 2009 and I deployed in the middle of 2010. So I knew I couldn't do anything in between this kind of, tectonic shift in my mindset and this deployment. So I had to put everything on pause and just learn and read. And so I spent the next year and a half just learning everything I could about real estate. And we cut all of our expenses way down while I was deployed. So my wife wasn't buying anything. I was just saving up every dollar that I had that I earned. And I had that full-time income and we just took every single dollar. And as soon as I came back, I, I actually bought a flip. I thought I wanted to be a house flipper. So, <laughs> so that was what I had gone toward. And so I spent that whole time learning and reading, which is great because I'm the kind of person that'll just jump right in and do something. And it was probably good that I took that extra year and learned a little bit rather than being spontaneous and just buying something. So, yeah. I love that. I love that. So really quick, let's talk about how you, how you convinced your wife that this was a, a viable plan. I mean, first off, you're, you're a million miles away. So that, that in itself, I know that, that, that can cause, you know, the things that it causes in relationships whenever you are distant. But now you're telling your wife, not only are you going to be a million miles away, but you guys kind of have to budget for your future. How do you, how do you have that conversation? And, and, and was she on board? Is it, is it, was it the type of situation in which there was a lot of convincing? You had to show her exactly what the numbers were and what you were planning to do? Or was she, was she always on board? Does she understand the, I guess, the power of real estate? Yeah, no, she wasn't really on board. She's much more conservative financially than I am. And she doesn't like to take risks. And she likes to see a lot of money in a bank account rather than being invested as much because uh, it gives her a sense of security, which is nothing wrong with that, but we just have a little bit different mindset. But we did find some common ground beforehand that we knew cutting our expenses way down, saving up a ton of money was good, regardless if we bought real estate or not. You know, So we, we did that during the deployment. And then when we came back, I was on, on unemployment because people who come off the, uh, out of the active army can get unemployment. So I was on unemployment. So I had income. 
And I had a lot of money saved and I just said, look, this is my once in a lifetime opportunity. I have a lot of cash. I have income that I don't really have to, you know, to work for. And I can take this money and I can invest it and, and I could lose every dollar tomorrow and we would still be okay. I could get a job. I could finish my degree or whatever. It wouldn't be great if I lost all that money, but we could survive. This is my once in a lifetime opportunity. It may never come again. And when I to told her like that, that if I take this now, then I can change my life. If I go work a regular job, I'm going to get locked in on that. And I said, just give me this one opportunity. And if I fail, I'll go get a job. And, and uh, maybe she just had some sympathy because I just came off the deployment, but she said, okay. And, that, and that's how we get started. And that, that, that's amazing. So you come back and first off, thank you. Thank you for your service. That's phenomenal. So you, you come back and it's one of those things where first, first and foremost, you're readjusting to, to a life that you haven't lived in a while. I mean, you know, you were, you were just overseas and, you know, you've seen and witnessed so many different things and you come back and you're re readjusting to this life to where it's, it's one of those things to where you, you know, you knew before you left that you didn't want to live a regular life but you came back to a life that maybe was regular. And one of the first things that you looked to doing was flipping. Why was that not a viable option for you? So house flipping, I, I realized after my first flip that what I really wanted was that, that income. I, I wanted that money knocking on my door. And I realized house flipping uh, wasn't like that. You can earn money doing house flipping. I, I know people who earn a lot of money doing house flipping, but it's not, it's not that money coming to me you're still hustling for it. you're still finding those deals you're still overseeing those projects and dealing with the contractors and all that stuff so it didn't fit in with what my plan was so my second deal was buying i bought a four family and that fit more in line with what i was looking to do I, so that was like a slow progression of of how i was growing as an investor as far as why i chose you know small multifamily over the the house flips Okay. Yeah. And coming back again, coming back to civilian life, I mean, was the plan to pick back up where you left off? Were you going to go and get your PhD? What was next? And did that oh, yeah. change for you? Yeah. So I realized pretty quickly after coming back that the, I, I needed some time to decompress, but going and sitting in a classroom was not what I needed. I needed some, something active. I needed to be doing something with my life. Not school's great. Uh, but at that point in my life, I, I needed something to do physically or actively or whatever. So I just, maybe I made a spontaneous decision, but I dropped out of the program because even though the plan before I deployed was to continue and have that degree as a backup in case it didn't work, I dropped out and I said, oh, they'll let me back in if, if I reapply next year. Yeah, so it's kind of, kind of uh, <laughs> weird. I was a little bit ashamed at the time, honestly. Yeah, that was my next question. How was that conversation with your family and your wife and everybody who loved you that was around you? Yeah, so my wife was supportive of it. I don't know why. She just supported everything. At the <laughs> She's <time>. amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I didn't tell my family for probably a year that I had completely dropped out. Until I had already been a little bit successful at real estate, I didn't tell them that I left the program. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, why do, why do you think that is? And I'm, and I'm asking you not to get super personal, but to maybe find some relatable things between, you know, you and some of the listeners who are looking to make you know, decisions that may not be in favor of their family, but they know that this is the ultimate, this is ultimately where they want to be and they want to be real estate investors. And, you know, it's a vision that sometimes not everybody around you can see. So you kind of have to filter what you say and what you do. So I just want to kind of get a clearer picture of what you, what you were able to accomplish before you told them and why you waited to tell them and maybe some advice for the listeners who are looking to do a similar thing. 
Yeah. So basically the common, you know, wisdom is that you need to get this degree and you need to go get a job. And what I was trying to do doesn't fall into in line with that. And so every time I even mentioned real estate to people, especially at the time, I remember 2011, 12 back then, you know, real estate was really bad, or at least all the stories were really bad. And so they're like, well, isn't that dangerous? Isn't that risky? Why would you do that? Why won't you get a six figure job? And so it, it didn't fall in line with what people thought I should be doing with my life. So rather than tell them what I was doing, I just did it and didn't tell them until I was successful with it. So, and I think that's a struggle everybody deals with because most people, when they have this idea of real estate or, or whatever, almost the first thing people say, well, isn't that dangerous? What about bad tenants and evictions and all that stuff? And most people are there trying to kind of caution you away from it. And so rather than arguing or debating with them, I just, I just kind of cut them out and didn't tell them. You know, let's talk about the time period between maybe 2012 and 2015. Now that things are picking up, I mean, you've gone through lots in your life. You actually, you know, decided to, to no longer pursue your PhD, which is incredible. You know, you, you've made some major sacrifices. You've taken some major risks, but also have gotten some big rewards out of that. And now you're at a point to where you've started investing and maybe you've also started a real estate business. So let's talk about maybe what the difference is between or what you view as the differences between a real estate business and real estate investing. Yeah, so the business, so I got into everything related to real estate that I could because it would help me grow my investments. So I became a real estate agent. I ran a, a, a contracting business for a little while and uh, so I could afford to have my own crew working for me. And those were all the business side of things. And all that, I did all that in order to help grow my, my investments, which is the passive side of things. And so that, that's definitely a difference between the two. And that income supplement in my investments. Every dollar I earned as a real estate agent or every project we took on uh, through my contracting business, every dollar of that went back into buying more property and building up that base of passive income. What would you consider is your number one area of expertise? Yeah. So what I specialized in, especially when I was just getting started off, is the, the properties that had the problems that you're usually told to avoid. So whenever you read a real estate book, they say, don't buy anything that's got roof foundation problems, anything you know major. And I realized that when 10 other people would make an offer on a house that's in decent condition, only one other person would make an offer if it's got problems. So there's no competition. So I would find every property that had a, a septic problem or a foundation problem, and I'd offer on those. So that became, a, that in a way, became my specialty was properties with uh, serious structural issues. Because this became your area of expertise and this became your niche, you, you kind of got a good grasp on what it would cost to, to kind of fix or get those properties to, to rent ready conditions and, and, and kind of incorporate that in your, in your trajections or in your projections and in your formulas before making an offer, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Because when you're running at the time, when I was running my own crew and I was a licensed co contractor as well, I got, I got my license. So I was able to know what it cost to jack up a house or to whatever, fix the rotting or the insect damage or whatever the other, everybody else got scared of. I could just incorporate those costs right into what I was doing. And because there's less competition, I got even lower prices, which bumped up the margin. So if you did make a mistake, there's a lot more margin to work with. How did you go about purposely finding these types of situations? Well, at the time, there was a lot of foreclosures. And so I just primarily looked at foreclosures. And especially in the Northeast where I was living, 
houses are older and the, the housing stock is much older. So it's a lot easier to find a property with serious problems when it was built a hundred years ago than finding something built 20 years ago with serious structural issues. Okay. So you find a house that, that's in foreclosure. What's next? What's next in your process? How do you make an offer? What, what types of offers are you making? Are you meeting the owners? What's, your, what's kind of your process? Yeah. So I was just making a lot of offers and I was making low offers because, you know, you, nine out of 10 offers get rejected when you're making low offers, but one out of 10 get accepted. That's all you need is one deal. And so that at the time, that's all I was doing. As I was going around, I'd look at 50 properties in a week. I'd make 10 offers. And most likely one of those would get, I would get a, a counter offer that was close enough that I could work with. And, and that, that's all it was. I love that. So let's dive into th this machine that you've, you've kind of created a little bit more. You would, you, would, you would look at 50 properties a week. What does that mean? Are you surfing the web? Are you, are you, are you driving by these properties? What, how are you looking at these properties? And then how are you reaching out to the owner? Are these direct mailers? Are you calling up the owner? And then how are you making offers? Let's kind of walk through your process in, in each specific stage. Yeah, so back then, so the market's changed a little bit. So what I was doing back then doesn't really work as well now, and I've changed strategies a little bit on finding these uh, smaller deals. But back then, there I remember in a city that I was investing in, there might be 300 properties on the market on MLS at any time, and probably 100 of them were decent deals because the market was bad, or at least to everybody else the market was bad. To me, the market was great. And so everything was an opportunity. It was just getting it at the right price. So there was endless amounts to look at, uh, essentially. And those were recycling so fast. And you're getting so many more foreclosures coming out of the market at the time. It just is almost impossible to keep up with. And so I was just, I knew the city well because I started driving them. And then you start to know the markets, especially after the first couple of months of looking. You start to know the sub-markets inside the city and the streets. And then when a deal comes on, you can just look at the street and be like, oh, I know that, yes or no. And then you can look at the price, be like, yes or no. And you just learn it. You're developing that, that, um, that understanding of the market that you need in order to be able to quickly assess deals. So you're not spending your entire life just underwriting deals. I mean, and then reaching out to the owners, how are you, how are you conducting that? Yeah, so most of them were foreclosures, so you don't get to talk to the, uh, to the owners. Yeah. Uh, directly. Now, like I said, I've changed strategies a little bit. Now, to find the smaller deals, we do we do more direct mail marketing because the MLS doesn't really have any good deals. It does occasionally, so I keep it on my radar. But uh, we do we do direct mail marketing and then contact owners directly and thing that we like to talk about on the show is lifestyle design through real estate. And we help people literally retire from their jobs. And you've been able to successfully do that. You officially retired from the workforce in January of 2016. Now, we haven't touched on the fact that you did enter the workforce again. So let's maybe talk about the period that you were in, in the workforce and maybe some of your goals to exit, you know, the rat race and how you were able to achieve those goals so fast. Yeah. So it's a very interesting story. So in in 2015, we, the Northeast got pummeled by some absolutely devastating snowstorms, and uh, I decided to go on vacation. So I, I took a trip to Dallas for some reason. I think it was because everything I read said the housing market was hot. And so I just took a vacation down there, fell in love with it, and decided to move. And I, I did the math, and I had enough passive income to help me afford everything in Dallas. So we moved just a few months later. 
So what I did though is the reason why I entered the workforce again was because I had never lived without my real estate business. I had never lived just on my investments. So I was essentially getting rid of my business. And so it, I was a little cautious and a little concerned. So I've got a job to supplement that lost income just to make sure that I could get through. And so I picked up a job in sales because I was weak in sales and I thought I could get better at that. So I picked up a job when I got to Dallas selling uh, sold phones and did that for close to a year. And then over that year, I bought more property. And the one thing that's really interesting, and I'll just touch upon that, when I was able to officially retire, I actually had another slight mindset change. And I discovered the, the concept of financial independence. So before, I just knew about passive income. But I never really thought about every time I earned more money, I was spending more money. Oh, it's getting good now, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> so I was making a ton of money in real estate. And I, I mean, I had, I had like a $60,000 truck that I was driving around in with every, all the features. I was eating out every day. I mean, life was good. And when I discovered financial independence, it, I realized that I could get rid of the truck. I could get rid of a lot of this stuff. And then I could not work. <laughs> right? And so I did that. And then I quit my job. You know, this is the beautiful thing about discovering this path. You know, you, you first realized that there was a way to create passive income for yourself, for your wife and your family to, to where you can create income without having to work or maybe, you know, putting in all the work on the front end and then being paid out for the rest of your life, which I think is amazing. And then you stumbled upon what we like to call financial independence. And that's when things really changed for you. So let's talk about present day, Eric. We, you know, we, we've talked about your before the moon story and now we're here in 2018. What's, what's next for you? What, what are you looking to do in this year and next year? What's all, what are your, some of your goals and dreams and aspirations? Are you still going to continue to invest in these, in these large multifamily are you looking at something else? What are some of your lifestyle goals as well? Yeah, so, I mean, so many things. So once I quit the workforce and I had a lot of free time and I was living in Texas, I discovered syndication. And I realized I could put in a similar amount of work to a small multifamily, but I could do a 100 or 200 unit apartment complex. And so I'm like, well, that's what I'm going to do now. So I switched gears and started doing that. Now, I still buy some small stuff if it's in a small little area back in Massachusetts where I already own property there and it just makes sense. Uh, but I'm really focused on doing the larger doesn't and I'm only focused on that because I'm trying to have a lot of goals, especially for my kids. You know, I want to be able to afford things for them. And so even though I can live comfortably, I still want to build that base of passive income and grow it. So financially that that's what I'm really doing with real estate. I'm teaching other people on my website about real estate so that other people can follow in this and, and achieve it and know that it's achievable. And lifestyle-wise, we're we're taking a lot more vacations. I just got back from a five. <laughs> I just got back from a five-week vacation in China and Japan. Oh, nice! Um, so I mean, that's it's like a mini retirement. Like you're just gone, you disappear for five weeks, and then you know you come back, and you can't do that when you have a regular job. Nobody will let you out of work for a month. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, how were you able to kind of uh, keep things turning in your business while you were away? What, what were some of the some of the tasks that maybe you had to make sure that you checked in on and things like that? Yeah. So, when you're anywhere, you still have to manage your your property and your portfolio. And it doesn't take a lot of time, but you have to check in. So, I have people that you know. I have a team of people that help me manage my properties and do work and such. So, I just check in with them. I can text them. I can call them. Whatever. I use an online platform that helps me make, manage my rent and income and stuff like that. And as far as the, the larger multifamily stuff, it's all done with partners. So 
you know, you can you can go do something somewhere else, and your partners are taking care of all that stuff while you're gone. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? So it was, uh, maybe it's a little cliche, but Rich Dad Poor Dad. Love it. <laughs> and also the cash flow quadrant. So basically, what really I like is how Robert Kiyosaki talks about the four types of income. You got your employment, self-employment, business, and investing. And it's okay to earn money wherever you're earning money, but you got to take all your money and move it. You take your money and you put it into your investments first so that your investments can pay you and you can kind of quit either employment, your self-employment or your business. If you really look at it, that's exactly what I did over the last five years. Because I started, I start, I was employed, then I was self-employed and running a business, you know, and now just, I mean, I still run a business because I have a lot of free time, but then I moved everything over to my investments. Now my investments paid for everything. And so that, if you if you kind of model your your plan around just that that simple little concept, I think it can push people to to that financial independence. Yeah, I love that so much. I mean, that's a great takeaway. You turn your working capital or your business capital into investment capital before you turn it into spending capital. Because uh-huh. if you take your working capital and you immediately spend that at, you know, you, you spend that at banks, you spend that on your mortgage, you spend that on your car, you spend that paying taxes. I mean, it, it, it's one of those things to where you're never going to truly become financially free. You're never going to truly become financially independent, which is the key. But if you take your working capital and you put that into investments and create investment capital before you start spending. And I know it's hard. It's a mindset shift. It's not something that happens overnight, but gradually taking your working capital more and more of it and putting it into investments to create investment capital. Then you use that investment capital to pay for your expenses, to pay for your mortgage, to pay for all these things. I mean, that investment capital is going to keep growing and it's going to take on a life of its own. And the more you invest in it, the more it's going to be able to provide for yourself and your family. So I think that's amazing. Question number two, what is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool so the the thing that probably helped me automate my business the most was when i got property management software online i use buildium oh it's a little bit expensive so paying paying that, that 150 bucks a month for for it was like a, a big pill to swallow at first but then once i did it i automated everything my payment my tenants pay me online they put work orders in line my contractors can do inspections using their app everything's just right there i can pay contractors eft directly to them i mean it's amazing that was a game changer for me what can buildium do that the cheaper counterpart cozy or some of these other companies can't do yeah so i don't know all the details about the other ones but i know buildium has the inspection app that comes with it i know that you can uh, I, I know all of them you can do uh, you can do tenant payments tenant portal and stuff like that Buildium can do the, like I said, the inspection app. It can do, I don't remember all the, everything it does because my, my wife handles that side of business. <laughs> oh man, I didn't even know that. We could have I mean, we could have really got into that. I didn't know your, your wife was kind of integrated. That's amazing. She deals with what we currently have and she kind of manages most of that. And I focus on finding new stuff. And so oh. we've kind of split the business up like that. But before we had Buildium, we were both involved in dealing with all the tenants and all the things because it took all of our time. 
I mean, as far as exactly what it does compared to its competition, I don't know. You have to go check out their website. <laughs> but I, I know, I know that it was a huge game changer for us. And when I switched to it two or three years ago, uh, when I did all my research on it, that was what we chose. It, it may not be the best anymore. Maybe the market's changed, but it's pretty good software. Let's take a quick diversion, just because I think it's important to, to kind of highlight now that you, you kind of incorporated your wife in the business. It's one of those things where, I mean, your wife is no longer no longer employed if she was employed before and she's able, you know, now you guys are able as a family, it sounds like, to live a location independent, you know, travel lifestyle because you guys are both real estate investors. Is that correct? That's absolutely true. Oh, man, that's amazing. That's amazing. OK, so next question. What were the sacrifices that you do you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Yeah, so I touched upon it already. And the big sacrifice that I had to make was my lifestyle, like eating out. I remember I gave up my truck. <laughs> yep. And so, I, you know, I, I gave up my truck and then I bought a fuel. It was still an expensive car, but I bought, I bought a hybrid vehicle. And just, just the savings on gas covered the whole cost of the car <laughs> wow. when I switched from a truck to, to a hybrid. So I was saving like 600 bucks a month in gas because this thing was gas guzzler. And that covered everything for my new car. So I was basically, you know, in a way I was cut, cutting that down, eating out and all that other lifestyle. We still do it. And I mean, now we do it a lot more because we've earned more, but I had to give up a lot of that for, for a while in order to get to that financially independent state. And then as I bought more property and get more passive income, you can grow that lifestyle back. Yeah, that's amazing. And you kind of brought me to an aha moment with what you just said, with what you just said about the cost savings when you switched from your truck to a hybrid. Cause I'm switching, I'm thinking about switching to an electric car and I didn't even consider that. So that's another conversation for another day, but that, that totally brought an aha moment to me anyways. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Yeah, we've talked about her a lot already, but it was my wife for sure. Because she, she, I see, I'm really driven. I will go and I'll take every risk there is, but she in a way keeps me grounded, right? Not, not like grounded in my room, but grounded <laughs> <laughs> like, like electricity. So I will just jump and do anything, but she, she'll really look. And if she truly says no to something that I know is probably not a good idea. And she keeps me focused because I'll, I'll find shiny objects. I'll go, Ooh, look at this real estate. Oh, maybe I can start this business. Oh, maybe I can do that. And she'll be like, well, maybe you should stay focused. <laughs> love it. And, love and it. So That's she, what you need. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just need to get really good at doing one thing. Right. Yeah. So. For sure. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? Well, I think exactly what you just said is part of it. Everybody has the intention. They're always thinking, but they're never doing. Mm. So that's that's the biggest thing. Everybody thinks forever, but everybody's always scared. There's never a deal good enough for you to want to pull the trigger the first time. That's a fact. You will never find a deal that is perfect. You'll never find a deal or an investment or whatever that you think is going to make you a ton of money with no risk because it doesn't exist. So people never pull the trigger. You just got to find a deal that's good enough so that you can start making money on it. It doesn't have to be the best deal. It just has to be good enough. Definitely. So maybe one, one, one last question to that. How do we 
as investors or as as potential investors go from constantly thinking, constantly having the, the right intention, but not actually taking any actions? How do we go from thinking to doing? Is that a mindset shift? Is that more so a disciplinary action? How do we go from thinking and intention to actually doing? Uh, well, it's the military in me coming out, but planning. <laughs> so you have to have a plan. And so it, a lot of people need to write that plan down or they won't follow it. And so it essentially create a business plan or an investing plan that I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to master these skills. I'm going to analyze this many deals every month. I'm going to meet this many people and sit down for coffee with these people. I'm going to save this much money every month, so on and so forth. Create a plan and then every month track your progress. Then you're doing something. And then once you reach your goals, your metrics, whatever they are, pull the trigger. All right. I just saved $25,000 over the last year or two years or whatever. I have the cash, the capital, I'm going to now pull the trigger, I'm going to buy a property or, or whatever. Whatever it is in your specific situation, create a plan and follow it. Love it, love it. Eric, this has been an amazing episode. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the experiences that you've shared, the strategies that, you, that you've shared with the Before the Millions listeners. I'm sure that they've all gotten so much value from this conversation. If the listeners want to reach out to you, learn a little bit more about you, or, or just kind of ask you a question or two, where can they find some of your information? Yeah, so please, if you want to learn a little bit more about myself, you can go to idealrei.com. And that's where I put all of my personal experiences, a lot of information and stuff. Also, I got a new thing called stackingmillions.com, which is a community that I'm building. And basically what it is, is this idea that it, it simplifies that, that process to help you take that first step. The idea is that you get your first million in real estate by buying a million and then building a net worth of a million and then so on and so forth. This idea of incremental millions to grow your real estate empire. So that's a new project that I'm working on. So you can go there as well. I love it. That sounds amazing. And both of those links will be in the show notes of this episode. So listeners, be sure to take, uh, be sure to check that out. Eric, thank you so much for your time. This has been amazing. And hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. 